You know, as we get ready to finish up the book of Galatians, um, I started to look at chapter 6 and I went, wow, this sounds so familiar. Chapter 6 has so many verses that we are accustomed to looking at. But for some reason, I reflected on the fact that it is the end of September. We are moving into October. Very quickly, we will be at Thanksgiving. And quickly after that, it will be Christmas. Do you realize it? Christmas is coming. And whenever I think of Christmas, I think of my favorite movie and book, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And I heard someone say something this week that was very interesting. Oh, yes, people have this problem and people have that problem. But you know what? It's none of my business. And I thought to myself, people are none of my business. Who talks like that? And then I remember that in A Christmas Carol, there was a character named Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley is a businessman. He is Scrooge's partner. And when, you know, Jacob Marley dies, he gasps, we were wrong, we were wrong. And, and Scrooge says, don't worry, you were a good businessman. And Jacob Marley dies. And then later when Marley comes to give Scrooge his chance at redemption, when he comes to say, you know, Scrooge says, but you were always such a good man of business. And then Jacob Marty screams, he howls, business, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. And I started looking at what's happening in our world. How many people are hurting? How hurt do you have to be? How sad, how down that you have to break into a church to use the bathroom? You have to break into a church to find a place to sleep. You have to steal from the church just to have enough money to buy a beer to subdue all of that pain in your head. How bad does it have to be? That's why I really hope that we don't just punish in this case, that we find a way to redeem, to help, to actually get someone to move on from the place they are in life. And then I started thinking about the 60s when most of you were not born and I was, and there was a song by the Hollies, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. And the whole meaning of that message was, Nobody's burden is so bad that I can't come alongside and help them. I can't stand with them and do that. But you know what? In these days, we are so concerned about ourselves, we don't look outside of ourselves or our family or even our church to consider what we can do. So today I want us to consider this, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. That's going to be our theme. It's the theme of Galatians chapter 6. That's where we're going to wrap up our book. You see, life never has to be boring. Talk to any junior high or high school kid, and they will say the same three words. I am what? Bored. I am bored. I played all my video games so many times, I am bored. I built my Legos so many times, I am bored. To which my mother would always say, you're bored. Good, because I have chores for you to do. And my mother would chore my boredom away. Can I get an amen from every parent? Yes, we can chore that boredom away. You will have something to do. If you want to have a Christian life, a passionate, exciting Christian life that is not boring, there are three activities that you can build into your life that will make your daily life exciting. Three activities that you can be part of, and they're all found right here in Galatians chapter 6. The first one is this. You can restore the fallen. We talk about someone who breaks into the church 
to find a place to sleep, to find a place to use the bathroom, to find some food and some water, we can restore the fallen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. Please underline that in your Bible. If you have a Bible highlighter, if not, write it on a piece of paper, put it in this page. This will keep your life from being terrible. If people could get this one concept, don't compare yourself with someone else. If you can get that down, your life would be 10,000 times better. In this particular case, he means don't compare your spirituality to another person because usually we compare ourselves to someone who's worse so that we feel better about our lives. That's why we watch reality TV shows to find out people whose lives are really horrible and that by comparison, we feel so much better. Verse five, for each person will have to carry his own load. Now there's a contradiction there. It says, carry one another's burdens in verse 2, right? Carry one another's burdens. But verse 5 says, each person must carry their own load. How do we reconcile these two verses? Very simple. First of all, what does it mean to carry a burden? Does it mean to do it for someone else? No. When you do something for someone else, you relieve them of the responsibility of doing it for themselves. Amen? When a child is very small... Five, six. There's many things you have to do for them, right? But when a child is 25 or 26, you are not helping them. You are enabling them. You are crippling them. You cripple someone by doing for them what they are capable of doing for themselves. This says when a person is overtaken in wrongdoing, it speaks to a Christian who has been caught up in something. Somebody wants to ask me, can a Christian commit suicide and still go to heaven? I'm going to say publicly and now for the record, yes. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is possible for your head to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's easy to be overtaken by grief or sadness or despair or, 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 or misery. It's so easy to be overcome by that that you start to think, I have to get out of this place. If it's the last thing I ever do, I got to get out of here. People get that way because they get down. That's why we have to watch out for each other. Any of us can be overtaken in grief or sadness or guilt. You're going along great in life. You make a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake. Here's the problem. Some people make a mistake and everybody seizes on that as an opportunity to put them down. Why? Because if I put somebody else down, what am I doing? I'm trying to lift myself up. I'm trying to think that I am something when I'm actually nothing. Consider this, Romans 12, 3. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What is sober judgment? It doesn't mean make a decision when you're sober. First of all, being drunk all the time is no way to go through life. To quote that great, iconic American film, Animal House, Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. Can I get an amen? Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. Great films teach us so much about our lives, don't they? Here we go. Sober judgment means sound thinking. It means you actually sit back and look at a situation from a Christian perspective, referencing the Word of God, looking at what's actually happening, and make a sound judgment based on the Word of God for what's going on around you. The Word of God tells us everybody is flawed. We went through this last week. Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. I am inconsistent. Who can save me from this body of sin? Only Jesus Christ. That's the important thing. He says in verse 3, If anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Judaizers. He's talking to those who would force Gentile Christians who are saved by the blood of Christ to go back and become Jews like them, to become under the law like them. Because what happens? When someone first enters that legalistic world, they don't do it the way everybody else does. So what happens? I feel better because you're struggling. You have to live like me in order to get to Jesus. No, you don't. The thief on the cross did not have time to change his lifestyle. The thief on the cross did not have time to go get baptized. The thief on the cross did not have time to get hit by the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. The thief on the cross begged for salvation. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus. Don't forget me because I believe in you. That's all it takes to be saved. That's where salvation begins. But it's the beginning point, not the ending point. So you see, you can go through all that religious stuff and go to church every day of your life and there every time the door opens. That doesn't make you more Christian than someone who gets saved at 50 or 60 or 70. Whatever age you are when you come to Christ, that's where it all begins. And we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Amen. The ground is leveled down there. There's nobody higher, nobody lower. At the foot of the cross, we're all the same. And then he says this in verse 4, examine your own works. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't say, I am good because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't dance, I don't chew, I don't hang out with people who do, you know the old saying. I am not good because I am better than somebody else. I am good because Christ has made me right. Amen? So look at your own life. Look at what you're doing and not look at what somebody else is doing. I don't have to judge myself based on somebody else. I know where I stand with Christ. I'm the sinner. I'm the high priest Joshua. I'm in the filthy rags. Jesus clothes me, makes me right. Now, if somebody else has been to church their whole life and they've been to Bible camp and seminary and they've done all this stuff, does that make them super Christians and me a mere Christian? No. We're all the same. We're all the same. That's what's so important. When you get down to the end of it, verse 5, he says each person must carry his own burden. What does that mean? Consider 2 Corinthians 5.10. So we know what it means. 
to, you know, think soberly about yourself. Look at who you really are in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now here's the thing. There's two judgments. We know this from the book of Revelation. There is the judgment of the saint, where you are rewarded somehow with that crown of life for the things you did for Christ. There is the judgment of the sinner, the unbeliever, where you are condemned. What does God do to the unbeliever? He says, here's the books. Here's all the good stuff you did. Here's all the bad stuff you did. Oops, there's something in the bad column. You are disqualified. Why? Because it says the final book that's open is the book of life. If your name is in the book of life because you received Christ, you get a pass. You get the same pass as everybody else. In fact, you won't even be at the judgment of the sinner. You're back here with the saints. Everyone goes to hell, not because they don't know the name of Jesus, but because they disobeyed God. They ignored God's word, God's laws, which are written in our hearts. We know when we do wrong. We know when we do evil. Even the sociopath, the psychopath, the nutcase, somewhere inside knows that what they're doing isn't right, but they don't listen to that voice, that warning, that call away. They bury it and they move on with their life. So the first thing we do is restore the fallen. If a Christian falls, don't be happy. Be broken. Go to them. Love them. Don't let them get away with it. Don't let them go on in their sin. If you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, Straighten it out. Make it right. Get right with God. But restore them gently, lovingly, because God restored you when he saved you. Amen? First thing, you always have a chance to restore the fallen. Look around you, people. There's a lot of fallen, broken, hurting, miserable people out there that need the love of Jesus Christ. Your life never has to be boring because your life is always surrounded by people that need Jesus. Second thing, you need to sow what you want to reap. My mom and daddy always had a garden. What did they put in the garden every year? One, corn. Why? They wanted corn. Two, green beans. Why? They wanted green beans. Tomatoes, onions, and thankfully, thankfully there was no broccoli, and there was no Brussels sprouts, and there was no eggplants, because that would have made my life miserable. They put in the garden what they wanted. You pick the seeds, that's what you put in the garden. You don't accidentally just throw seeds out there and see what grows. You do it on purpose. Galatians 6.6. 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will reap. You sow corn, you get corn. You sow beans, you get beans. That's just the natural order of things. You don't get figs on an apple tree. You don't get pumpkins on a roseberry bush. You know, you, just, you don't get that. You get whatever that thing is. Amen? This is the real world. This is science. This is how it goes. You get what you put in the ground. He says this, Because the one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good. How many of you get tired of helping people that just will not help themselves? Oh, come on, don't lie to me. How many of you get sick 
and tired of bending over backwards, trying to help people, trying to tell them the right thing to do, and they don't listen. They come to you when they're hurting. They come to you when they're upset, and they listen to you for five minutes, and as soon as everything flattens out, they totally forget everything you ever said. I get tired of telling people, you know what, the reason why you're in this jail cell is because you took a gun to the bar and you got drunk. When I was at church in Montana, when I was pastoring there, I went to the same jail cell every week to visit the same two guys because the same two guys were stupid enough to believe, oh, I can do the same thing and come out with a different result. Y'all, that's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Carry a gun, go to the bar, get drunk, wind up in jail. It's a mathematical equation. And it doesn't change. It's how it goes. But they would, I would get tired of visiting these two boobs because they just couldn't get it through their head that you can't do those things. Don't get tired of doing good. I always went to the jail to see them. I always went there to visit. For if for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. I've seen people come to Christ at 60, 70, and 80. There's never a time when someone can't come to Christ. But you have to keep going. Would you ever stop praying for your children? No. Would you ever stop sharing Christ with your children? No. Is there an age? Is 20 too old? 30 too old? No. How about 40 or 50? Do you ever stop praying and ministering to your own children? No. Then we shouldn't stop with anybody else either. You don't know at what point God will bring that home to them, wake them up in the head and say, you know what? What you're doing, sorry, what you're doing is ridiculous. You got to quit this. Some people don't get it till they've uh, come back out of the care of the state after a few years in the penitentiary. And when they get out, they sometimes figure out, oh, you know what? What I did last time, that didn't work so good. Why don't I do something different this time? They do figure it out sooner or later. We will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. So we are meant to be doing good to all people whether they are boneheads or not, whether they listen or not, whether they reciprocate or not. We don't just do good to those who do good to us. Jesus taught us about the Pharisees. Pharisees love those who love them and don't love who don't love them. That's not the way to live a life that honors God. Remember what it says in the Old Testament. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Three things God demands of all people. Do justly, Love mercy, walk humbly with the Lord your God. Do that, and you will please the Lord. Consider this, Hosea, there's the book for you to find in the Old Testament, Hosea 10, 12 and 13. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground. Remember I told you sometimes life gets hard, your heart gets hard, your life gets crusty. The only way to do that is to break it up, and breaking up fallow ground is is difficult. If you've ever had to use a rototiller, right here, if you ever had to use a rototiller on ground that hasn't been broken up in a couple years, you think you're chopping through concrete. That ground is thick, it's solid, there's rocks, it is back-breaking work to sit there with that rototiller and go hour after hour trying to turn up that garden and pull out those rocks and get it ready for planting. 
Sophia sows righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord. It's the time to seek Yahweh. Now is the appointed moment. Not in five years, not in ten years, not once you're married, not once you have kids, not once you're financially stable. Now, this moment is when you seek God, not later. There may not be a later if you know what I'm talking about, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. You trust what you can see. You trust your own thinking, your own mentality, your own cultural bias. You, you believe in that and you will get nothing out of, of your walk with the Lord because to be a servant of God is to be counterculture. There's a good 1960s term for those of us who survived. Thank you. Counterculture, to go against the way that the world does things. And that's what the Christian life is. As one great philosopher once observed, who also loved to fish, have you ever noticed that living fish never float downstream? What floats downstream? Dead fish. Living fish go against the flow. They swim up. Watch a salmon go, <laughs> go up the steps of a lake. I mean, this is a jump, jump, jump. They're fighting the natural system, and it's hard to fight against the flow. But they do it because there's this instinct in the salmon that says that's where you have to be. And the Christian is the same thing. We go against the natural flow of our country, of our families, of our friends, of our community to serve God in the way that he desires to be served. Third thing I want you to see is this third activity that will bring joy to your life is not just restoring the fallen. There's great joy in that, by the way, to see a Christian turn around and get going in the right direction. Not just sow what you want to reap. Remember, you're intentionally putting into your life those things that will bless and honor God, those things that will make you stronger and make you useful. Last thing, if you have birds or dogs or cats, and you love your birds and dogs and cats, what do you do? You brag about them, don't you? My credit, my debit card has all four of my birds on it. Someone says, you have birds? Yep, Psh, right there they are. There's my birds right there on that card. So you can see my birds. I have birds on my phone. There's my birds. Because why? I'm proud of them. I love them. Well, why don't you brag about the love of God in Jesus Christ? Brag about what it means to be in love with the Holy God. I mean, every time at school, I see people pull out their cell phone, and when they turn it on to get their card ready, there's a picture of their husband, their wife, their boyfriend, their girlfriend. It's right there on their phone so they can see that picture of the person they love, and they can show that picture off. Do we brag about the love of God in Jesus Christ and what he did for us? Galatians 6, 11. Look at what large letters I used to write to you in my own handwriting. Remember I told you. Paul's eyesight was going. Paul's vision was dimmed. Maybe because he beheld the glory of God and being blinded damaged his eyes forever and reminded him that he was dependent on the God who blinded him. That's why he had to have an amanuensis. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. If someone is quiet about their Christianity, it's not because they're being considerate of you. It's because they're embarrassed. I oftentimes will tell people, God bless you. Have a good day. 
Or if someone comes in and says, isn't this a good day? I say, you bet, because if God gives you a day, you got to do something with it. They'll say, amen, we're both happy, and on we go. Not everybody is happy when you say that. So when you say that at my school, you run the risk of being fired. You run the risk of being let go because you're an affront to someone who doesn't share your faith. But you know what? If I don't say it, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a liar. I'm pretending to be something I'm not. I'm going to shove it down your throat, but you're going to hear it if you're hanging around me long enough. It says this, They only want to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. Oh, I got this guy circumcised. Oh, I got this guy to read the law of Moses. Oh, I got this guy to do this. Do you know that there is a particular church down the street? Not that far down the street. And the way you get into heaven is by being one of the 144,000 faithful believers. And the only way to become a 144,000 faithful believer person is to give away these little paper tracks and to tell people and to bring them to church. And it's their way of earning their place in heaven. They're trying to earn their trip to heaven because they think it's restricted to 144,000 people. One, They've never read that passage because, two, it says there are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So last time I checked, I wasn't Jewish, but I know I'm going. Amen. So someone ain't been reading the Bible very clearly. But my thing is, they're trying to earn it. They're trying to brag, oh, I brought so-and-so in the church. I brought so-and-so in the church. This lady came in once, and she, she admitted that she lied about being married to the man she was with. She said, well, we're not really married, but I'm getting, a, I'm getting money from my last husband's account. And if I get married, I lose that money. Well, okay, then you lose the money. So she pretends to be married so that the church will accept her, but she's actually lying because she's not married and getting money from the government. I'm sorry. I said, you need to clean that mess up or I'm going to throw you at this church. To which someone said, you can't do that. Do you know how hard I worked to get that woman in this church? And I'm like, oh, I had to walk away and, and thank Jesus to, mm, that day was not good. My thing is this. You didn't work hard to get them in church. God gave you the privilege of inviting them. His Holy Spirit brought them into that church. Amen? You didn't do nothing. You just were part of what God was up to. So give him the glory and not you yourselves. It says this. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. That should sound very familiar to you. Right here, Philippians 3, 3 through 7 says this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, wait a minute. Yes, I'm a Jew. I am a member of the seed of Abraham, but I don't put any confidence in that. I don't put any confidence in that. There are many people who are the children of pastors, and they think that because their father or mother was a pastor, somehow they get a pass into heaven. It don't work that way. Everybody is going to heaven based on what they personally have done for Jesus Christ. Don't matter what your mama did or your daddy did or your grandma or your grandpa. That doesn't matter. It's what you did in making that decision for Christ. He says this, we put no confidence in the flesh, 
Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks that he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, in their Judaism, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, met one requirement. Of the people of Israel, another one. Of the tribe of Benjamin, yep, there's another one. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever you think you did that you had because of your heritage, you got nothing. There's lots of people today who cling on to a family name that 50 or 100 years ago meant something. Great. 100 years ago, you had a relative that did this or did this or did that. That's the whole point of genealogy. So that you can feel good about yourself because of what your ancestors were all of those years ago. Yeah, I had an ancestor who fought in the Revolutionary War happened to be on the wrong side of the war, but that's okay. I get no glory from that, especially because they fought on the wrong side of the war. But it's okay. You know, they went home to England after the thing was over. Just because you have a famous relative doesn't mean anything. It's who are you? Who are you today that matters? Not who your relatives were way back in the day. Paul says, I had everything. I was everything you wish you were. I was the penultimate Jewish person, a Pharisee, member of the Sanhedrin. I had everything, but it's trash to me now. It's garbage. It's useless. It's nothing because it cannot help me in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about that. People always tell me, well, my great-grandfather went to this church, and my, and my grandfather went to this church. That's good. I'm glad they did. Where are you going to church? Oh, I don't go anywhere right now. So what's the point? Yeah, they had a relationship with Christ. What do you have? Do you have anything in your head, anything in your heart, any belief? I love that line. But whatever gain I had, whatever I thought I was, I counted as loss for the sake of gaining Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Verse 15 of Galatians 6, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace now come. Let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Remember, he had been stoned. He had been beaten. He had been torn up. He had been shipwrecked. Paul was jacked up 10 ways to Sunday. He was physically a wreck. Physically he had pain from all the times he'd been beaten and stoned and driven out. His eyesight was going because of having beheld the glory of Jesus. So physically, he was a wreck. But he said, that's okay. Everything I've endured, I've endured for my Lord Jesus because he called me to go through it. But that isn't what makes me important. What makes me important is I have that relationship. He said, so don't cause me any more grief. Don't cause me any more pain. I've had enough pain. Remember, he was sad that the, that, the, that the people of Galatia had given up the gospel and had chased after pipe dreams. He said, now stop it. Get back on track and do what is right. He says this, from now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What a great way to end. Get your act together. Get it together and live this life that we told you about. Remember in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, he says this, what? For me to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. 
I get everything when I die and go home to my Lord Jesus. He said in that same chapter, hey, I'm tempted to just give up and go home to be with the Lord. But it's better for you if I stick around. It's better for your blessing if I keep going, even though I want to be done with this. He was done with this world. He was done with the pain and the misery, the rejection, the sadness, the hunger, the hard roads. He was done with it. But he said, for your sakes, I'm going to keep going until my God takes me home. That's the sign of a believer. Brag about the love of God in Jesus Christ. You want to have a great life that's full every day. Find someone to brag to every day that says, I was this and now I am this by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so can you be. You can be just like me, just as happy, just as joyful, just as uh, full of expressions of, of, of grace and mercy. You can be that, but you have to give it all to Christ. What a fantastic way to look at it. What a way to end it. Hey, I'm a new creation. I get to go forward because of Christ and put all that other stuff behind me. You guys, all this teaching, the Judaizers, put it behind you. Go back to Jesus. You want your life to be full of joy? Restore the fallen. There's a lot of them out there. Okay, sow what you want to reap. You don't accidentally sow, you don't accidentally reap. Put into the lives of other people, your community, your friends, your church, those things that you want to see grow up. And then brag. Brag all day long. If you got a, if you got a smart grandchild, you do have a smart grandchild. Brag about it. But also brag about the love of Christ that's going to be the future of that son, that little grandson, you know? Be that person. They go, oh, here comes John and Debbie. Oh, they're going to talk to me about Jesus. Here we go. Oh, here comes that Doug Alford. Oh, and there's April. She's going to tell me more about faith in Christ. Oh, what can I do with it? Nothing. They can live with it. Because then at least they know, oh, here come two Christians who honestly believe in Jesus Christ. And how come their life looks so good and my life doesn't? How come their life is so full and my life is empty? You got Gary out there going out there among people who live a very lonely life. A lot of truck drivers, very lonely, desolate life out there on the road. It's, it's, it's not easy to be a truck driver, is it? Look at the way people keep cutting truck drivers off. I'm surprised y'all don't go postal on them all. Just start mowing them down because sometimes you wonder. But what a great way to stand there and go, you know what? As a, as, a, as a believing truck driver, let me tell you where my life is centered. Let me tell you where my joy is. Not the money I make, not the truck I drive, but the life I have in Jesus Christ when I'm on that road doing those things. All right, let's pray. 